0: Risk is our business.
2: It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics.
0: Now in standard orbit, sir.
2: Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the
0: Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And we have a very exciting interview this week with writer, speaker, and trekker, Mr. Kevin C. Neese. Kevin is the author of the Gospel According to Star Trek book series, a speaker, and the founder of the Undiscovered Country Project, an ongoing journey through Star Trek from a Christian perspective, through his blog, audio commentaries, books, and speaking presentations. Kevin poses questions about the spiritual significance of Star Trek as both popular art and a cultural phenomenon. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin.
1: Thanks very much, guys. Welcome to you too. Uh, it's great to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah, so this isn't your first uh, go around on Trek FM. You were you were on uh, Matterstream way yes. back in the day, yes. uh, and you're also on uh, Meta- Metatrex uh, uh-huh. fairly recently, or well, maybe not recently. You know, time not linear here at Trek FM, so I don't really, <laughs> I, don't, I don't exactly remember how long ago it was. But it was, it was uh, a few months September. ago. It was, it was Metatrex
1: yeah. 42. Yeah, it was
0: September. Okay, September. Right. so it was number Metatrex 42 Making Discoveries. Uh, so if you like this interview, which I guarantee you listeners will, uh, go check Kevin out uh, on those podcasts as well. Yeah.
1: So. And Matter, Matterstream 5, which was Religion and Star Trek.
0: There you go. Matter five, Matterstream 5, yeah. way back. Yeah. <laughs> so that Matter is a long 5,
1: time sir.
0: ago. <laughs> <laughs> What we really want to dive into is your recent book, The Gospel According to Star Trek, the original crew, this being the standard orbit uh, department of Trek FM, as we talk about the old and new adventures of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise, as we say every week. Uh, And that's what your most recent book focuses on. You'll be going through all the crews, but your first book was, of course, for the original series. Uh, But before we dive into that, let's talk a little about you, your, your Star Trek fandom, all that good stuff. Like, how did you first discover the show? What are your, like, some of your earliest Star Trek memories? That kind of thing.
1: Well, uh, my earliest memories of the original series I recount uh, in the introduction of the book, um, which is basically um, kind of liking the concept but thinking it was kind of dorky, you know, because they had these little wooden blocks that they put into slots and that I was supposed to believe those were data tapes and I, you know, stuff like that. I, I just I didn't get into it. I didn't recognize. The, the artistry of the original series for what it was. Um, so when Next Gen came out, I mean, I, I really became a Next Gen kid. And then um, in, the, in probably the early 90s, about, about 1991 was when I really got into the original crew movies. And that was really where I came to love the original crew uh, was through those films. So my Star Trek for the longest time was really next gen and original crew movies, and then it was later that I got into got into everything else, including the original series and the animated series, both of which are in the book and both of which I love.
0: Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, I, I much the same as you. I, I grew up watching the next generation and the original series movies, uh, yeah. so that was my my window into TOS as well. So when I think of the original series, I think of you know the Star Trek movies, you know, one through six. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's, and then it's like, oh, and there's all these other episodes of TV that came before that too. Right. right. So uh, with all, with all that in mind, Kevin, uh, your Star Trek fandom, how did the Undiscovered Country project come about? And, you know, the book as well, your, your new book series, how, how did those spring from your Star Trek fandom?
1: So it was kind of weird because, um, you know, you and I came to Star Trek about the same, about the same era, I think, um, or, or similarly, I guess and uh... and i got to a point where you know it was where you had the three series on television and i had fallen behind on some of them and of course we didn't have dvrs and stuff and and i tried to watch things in order because i'm just that way and i just kinda got out of sync with star trek and just kinda dropped out of watching it for a while because i was like oh i'll have to catch it you know when i can watch everything the way i want to because i'm a purist that way and uh, <laughs> and so i was only going to see the movies and then I went to see Insurrection and started questioning going to see the movies. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, oh, man, wow. Um, but uh, I wanted to see Nemesis, but I never got around to it. But um, So oh, I go was of kind of this...
0: There's evidence in itself, your lack of seeing Nemesis in the theater. Well done, Insurrection. You lost yeah,
1: it, right, exactly, exactly. And so, um, I, so there was kind of these, these fallow years where I just wasn't into Star Trek. But during that time, I mean, it was into Star Trek, you know. But i just wasn't watching it you know like i used to and uh and so during that time i underwent what i call my worldview conversion process um which is that you know i went to college which i wasn't originally going to do um but i got a scholarship from my wife's granddad who gave scholarships to all of his grandkids and lots of other people and um i uh decided to uh just go to get a degree to hang on the wall to get a better job like in video production and film and uh, then I I saw that there was an intro to philosophy class and I was interested in that we were doing some of that in the church leadership team when we we're talking about philosophy and theology and all that stuff so I said well I'll take that that'll be fun and uh, the first day of that class it changed my whole perspective on what I was doing you know why I was getting an education and that my intellectual pursuits were necessarily spiritual pursuits and that my uh, my faith was not separate from the rest of my life but uh, but that it was integral to everything that I did and I immediately went to my advisor and changed my major and it was from that process of kind of starting to exercise those muscles and begin to look at the world in a different way that i came back to star trek and when i came back to star trek it was to write a paper uh i, I started i started well i started i got excited about star trek because i did finally see nemesis <laughs> and uh <laughs> on, on dvd and and probably liked it more than i should have but I, but the good parts of nemesis are really good and uh and i got really excited and um uh, and started watching it, and decided I wanted to do a paper on data for this conference that I did at my at my university um, every year. And uh, the paper on data, as I was doing research for it, uh, it, I started watching Next Generation, and then the Abrams film was coming out, so I started watching the original series, went to see the Abrams film, and I started realizing that the things it wasn't just data. You know, there was stuff all over Next Generation that was um, resonating with and even deepening uh, my faith and, and enriching my faith life. And then I realized, well, it's all over Star Trek. And so by the time I wrote the paper, the paper was on Star Trek as a whole. And as soon as I'd had the paper, I knew it was going to be a book. And that was back in 2008, 2009. Uh, presented the paper in 2009. So I've been going, going since then. And the the book just was just a natural outgrowth of that. And then as I got into the book, it, it became a series. So, that's where we're at.
0: So, by the time, let's say, you have obviously you have the original series, uh, you're gonna have next gen, D. Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise are all gonna have their own books.
1: That's correct. Awesome. Yes. And then
0: Discovery, I guess, by the time you're done with these.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We're going to have to see about that. Uh, uh, you know, if it lasts 12 episodes, then maybe not. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> a brief
0: addendum at the end of the Enterprise book, perhaps. Right,
1: yeah. That's what we'll do. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do a, we'll a revised and expanded edition of the Enterprise book with uh, Discovery at the end. For sure. That's, well, you know, uh, the,
0: the, the one we're going to hone in on today is the only one that's been released so far. It's the Gospel According to Star Trek, the original crew. And uh, it it covers a lot of different uh, angles to religion and Christianity in Star Trek. And, you know, to to me, one of the most interesting parts of the book was the first section dealing with Gene Roddenberry, because he's often labeled as an atheist. And that's not the most accurate description of his worldview, is it, Kevin?
1: Uh, Yeah, actually, it's not. It's a common misconception that he was an atheist. And and certainly he did not believe in um, a personal God that is a God who is a person, um, who is um, somebody that we would that we would worship. Um, but he believed in um, a, a form of pantheism, really. And pantheism really is the belief—pantheism proper is the, is the belief that everything is God. But um, I think his idea of the divine was more limited to human beings and perhaps other intelligent creatures, which I assume— you know, would include alien life or I don't know, maybe it included dolphins. I don't really know <laughs> or apes. I don't really know. He didn't, he didn't clarify, but, um, but I spent a long time because I went into the book um, assuming that Roddenberry was an atheist and then started actually reading his words and hearing what he was saying and said, wow, for an atheist, this guy talks about God an awful lot. The thing that I say in the book is that, you know, atheism, there shades of atheism but the, the essential of it is that it just breaks down to the Greek theos, for God, and ah or a, which means no, no God. So the, the atheist belief is that there is no God. So if, uh, if somebody has a belief about God or, or ascribes traits to God other than non-existence, you know, that person is categorically not an atheist, because the only thing an atheist believes about God is that God doesn't exist. Gene Roddenberry had a lot of things to say about God. Um, not one of which was that God didn't exist. <laughs> so, um, that's, that's something that was a, that was kind of a revelation for me and something that I, I spent a long time on that section of the book because I wanted to be sure that I said it, that I represented him as accurately as I could and, uh, and that I had done enough research and had wrestled with it long enough to make sure that I was pre- presenting it accurately. So yeah, those four chapters are, about a year of my life,
0: <laughs> so. no, a year a year well spent because I think it shed a light on a part of his life that a lot of people misinterpret or aren't really aware of, you know and and he even you know, and all the quotes that people will sometimes take out of context, he's really calling out you know, false prophets and charlatans and like, for, and for good reason, you know, like across the world, any organization, any kind of thing like that, that exists. And that's an unfortunate, you know, reality of religion, organized religion. And, you know, he's frustrated, he's frustrated with it and he was calling it out and, you know, it's as you should, right?
1: Right. And I, and I, but I would, I would say that he probably had a limited amount of religion that he saw that he would think was beneficial if he, if there was any. Um, he was very much against or against organized religion as a thing. and um but he wasn't um, he he talked about not really not really thinking that it should be banned, you know, or gotten rid of, but that his hope would be that as humankind matured, it would it would sort of fall out of fashion. and um, and I think the the disconnect that he saw, because I think he said some things I think that showed, some respect for Jesus and for his values and for his teachings. And particularly I talk about the, the, the episode Bread and Circuses in, in the book. I, I, I think that episode is often misrepresented and that actually the, um, the, the Christian thread in that episode is really the point of the episode, just looking at the way the thing's written. People try to make it about television and other things. And Yeah, that's there, but that's window dressing uh, compared to the actual narrative of the, of the story. And there's a lot, and I also talk about Return of the Archons, there's a lot of stuff in Star Trek where there's respect for the teaching that spawned the religion, but there's heavy criticism for how the religion has sort of drained people of their humanity, has worked against the health and life of the spirit. And that is not in any sense an an inaccurate criticism of religion uh, particularly as we've as as we've seen in the West, certainly there is life-giving religion. Certainly there is healthy and and good uh, religion, but sometimes it can be hard to find and hard to see, and uh, and, and so I, I think the the criticisms that that Gene and and other and, and the writers of Star Trek in general um, made about religion are usually for me as a Christian are, are I see those as instructive uh, and and as uh, important to, to listen to and to hear and to understand because if that's if that's the impression people have of what it means to be a religious person or particularly to be a Christian then um, we're probably doing something wrong
2: <laughs> yes you know it's interesting Karen because as, as I was listening to what you were saying and paying very close attention to what you were saying you know I, I was doing my own research in, into you your books and, and the things that you say and you wrote and it it struck me because, um you know part of your speaking engagements and what you're talking about out there you you said that by showing the connection between Star Trek's humanistic worldview and a Christian right helps and and i it was interesting helps redeem the Christian view of humanity and i and I underlined that, and I, I when I heard that, you know, I wrote down my question to you is, what is in need of redemption and in many ways you you kind of alluded to it, but I'm wondering if we could kind of circle back to that a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think a lot of times, and a lot of this has to do with the way Christian religion has sort of um, propagated, particularly in the United States, because it's very much about confronting people with, um, with their sin, confronting people with their failures and, and, and with the brokenness in their life and saying, you, you know, we all need fixing, you know, and that's not wrong. You know, we do all need fixing. That's what we spend our whole lives trying to do is become a better version of ourselves. Um, but I think a lot of times, that that focus has tended to end up with sort of a denigration of humanity itself, because we see its failures more than we see its goodness. We've lost this um, this traditional Christian concept of the the imago dei, that is the image of God. So that we are we are created in the image of God, the image and likeness of God, no matter how fractured or broken or or, or m- marred it is. Um, it's still there, and there's there's still goodness in us. And we do have, as Gene Roddenberry said, a lot of things to be proud of as human beings. And what I saw as a Christian Star Trek fan was that uh, humanism was really viewed as kind of the enemy of Christianity, which is ridiculous because there's a long tradition of Christian humanists, um, people who recognized that if we're that, that if humanity is the imago Dei, if it is the, the expression of the image of God, at least the, the best parts of it, then as we explore deeply what it means to be human, we ought to be bumping up against the gospel. And I think we find that happening a lot in Star Trek. And when what I would see as a Christian Star Trek fan was Christians would look at Star Trek and they say, oh, okay, well, that's humanistic and therefore they would either dismiss it out of hand because they could put a label on it that said not Christian, and so they didn't want to have anything to do with it, or they would just feel guilty for liking it. And, and uh, I felt like, no, you know what? There's a reason we like this, and it's not bad. It's, it's, there's, there's a good thing here. Uh, one of the things that, that we say in, in the circles that I'm a part of, one of the things that we've, we've circulated a lot, is that all goodness is God's goodness all truth is God's truth. All beauty is God's beauty. And, uh, and we, we borrow this quotation from Abraham Kuyper that says, that um, there is not one square inch of creation over which Christ does not call mine. So everything belongs to God. Everything goes back to God and God is telling his story through everything. And wherever we find goodness, wherever we find truth, wherever we find beauty, we're finding the things of God. And, It's not inconceivable that we could find those in the humanity that he called very good at its creation. That
0: is an excellent point, Kevin, because that I really honed in on that myself. And I was reading your book and you were explaining that the kind of contradiction as like a Star Trek fan who's a Christian, you're like, oh, well, they're talking about humanism here and they're celebrating that. But we're talking about, you know, man has fallen in need of redemption. But I mean, there is a middle ground there. Like you said, we are created in the image of God. So that doesn't mean it's bad to talk about all the great things we can accomplish together. And yeah, it's, it's crazy because I, I don't know what it is, but you have that. There is that conflict with perhaps the perceived value system of Star Trek and the perceived value system of Christianity when you're trying to marry the two and you're like, Oh, I don't, should I celebrate this? I don't know. You know, so I, I completely right. related to what you were talking about there.
1: Well, that's great. I, it's, I'm, I'm always glad to hear that someone has related uh, <laughs> to, to something I'm, I'm saying and writing because uh, that's, that's why I write it. That's, that's why I share it is so that other people can have some sense of recognition. And also to, so that there's a voice out there saying that Christianity is not about divorcing ourselves from our humanity, that it's about the fullest expression of our humanity and a full robust engagement with the world in which we live, not in isolation from or battle with it. You know, um, that culture is a, a conversation, not a confrontation. And, uh, I think that's, that's something that not a lot of people hear. So I, I recommend my book to non-Star Trek fans, because there's a lot in it that you don't have to know anything about Star Trek to, to engage with. I have a thing on my website, called the, you can download for free, called the Non-Trekkies Reading Guide for the book. <laughs> uh, and uh, I've thought I need to try to figure out how to make a non-Christians reading guide, but I'm not sure exactly how to do that. But I, I feel like that if somebody isn't a Christian... And I've had people who aren't Christians read the book or engage with uh, come and listen to me speak and and uh, and they can find they can still find value in what I'm saying, and they're fascinated to hear the viewpoint. i've I've found a lot of uh, different very open-minded people uh, in, in the Star Trek community and and I love that. I love that dialogue. and I love being able to show somebody that that being a Christian doesn't mean what a lot of people think it does. And uh, that it's really about being a good human being, or a better human being, trying to be.
2: <laughs> so, getting into TOS a little bit more, and yep. um, and and thank you first of all for, for answering that because it was it was a great it was a, thank you for it was, asking a great it. way to yeah I like I said it, it was it was a fascinating word redeem and uh, and 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 that's why I, I wanted to go down that path a little bit and I think we'll circle back into it. Yeah, because you've hit on some of this already when we talk about Tos proper. You've already hit on a couple of episodes, especially bread and circuses, which I agree with you. I, I thought that was pretty much on the nose as to what it was focused on uh, and what it was getting at. You know that 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 faith and that focus and um, that that unwillingness to um, compromise one's beliefs, and then it, you know it all comes comes out and it's very clear in the end where that's coming from. So yeah, there's very little. Uh, um, ambiguity i thought in that in that episode at all and i'll just
1: say too people who think that was just sneaked by gene people who think that was something that the writers did is like oh good you know gene didn't notice baloney that is not true not only was gene roddenberry signing off on every single episode he was rewriting the majority of them and in fact um the, uh, the book, uh, These Are the Voyages, even says that some of what they term the more sentimental, uh, Mark Cushman uh, terms some of the more sentimental dialogue in that episode, which I would say was probably that ending ending scene about it's not the sun in the sky, it's the son of God, that that actually came from Gene, and that Gene introduced those elements into it. I don't know if it's that particular scene, but whether he wrote that or rewrote it or what, that's got Gene Roddenberry's stamp of approval, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And look at what he's approving. He's not approving organized religion. He's approving that Jesus taught things that we teach and we believe here in Star Trek as well. And that's that's a cool thing. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you, but... <laughs>
2: Well, <laughs> no, it, all it does is is illustrate the point even more. So, and and it kind of brings it it's funny. So we we all have our lens on things. And, and and we take away and what was interesting to me, we'll we'll stick with that episode for a second. And I'm going to go down a different path, but we'll see how how it comes back up again, is that the the two leading stars were both Jewish. And you know, and and this is 1960s television. Um you know, everything had its kind of. You had to be careful with with censors and whatnot. And I guess they were probably a little bit more um, "quote unquote" Christian values. I don't know if or Christian Judeo values that were, um, I guess, I- I- ensured that they were were, were given their due uh, in in those timelines. Obviously, they weren't they weren't allowed to stray or say certain words. And you know, even though the the dress in those days was was pretty provocative for its time. Um, you know, there were certainly certain things to follow. So I, I wasn't surprised that an episode like that could, could get through. I was just always curious what those two actors thought about that episode. I've never found anything or read anything that, that, that feeds back to it. And I know we're talking about Gene Rodberry, it's his creation. But what, what an interesting thing. And that, that to me is the ultimate IDIC. Because they they, they they actually talked about something that the, the two lead actors, in theory, as far as we know, didn't believe in. I, right. I don't know if that's true or not. Right. And fascinating you know, to
1: me. One of the things that didn't make it into the book that I wish had, I didn't really figure out a way to work it in, and maybe I should have. Um, I actually did an interview with Ralph Sinensky, who directed that episode. Um, he's 92 now, I think, 93. He was, I think, 91 at the time. And, um, and I asked him specifically about that. I was like, where does this come from? How do you guys, you know, deal with this? And he's like, look, uh, all of us are there to do a job. And the actors, just like everybody else, they're just there to do the job, to say the lines that are on the page, deliver them as well as they can. And he's like, as far as whatever their religion is, whatever their worldview is, whatever, they just kind of package that up and set it aside and do whatever they have to do to serve the characters in the story. And, um, and I thought that was a really interesting, uh, perspective from him that, you know, he's like, he wasn't personally cause he's Jewish too. And he wasn't personally trying to say anything, you know, pro-Christian or whatever in the, in the episode. And, and certainly, um, certainly, uh, most of the writers and, and a lot of the people, um, were, were Jewish as well. Um, and, uh, and so they weren't, they weren't trying to push that. And again, I don't think Gene would necessarily be, trying to push christianity proper either i think that's really antithetical to his to his makeup and to his philosophy to do that but uh but yeah it, it is it is interesting to watch that scene and and knowing that that leonard and and, and bill at least are both jewish and <laughs> and to watch them talking so favorably about jesus it's it's an odd it's an odd thing to look at
2: it is but I, I didn't take it as being you know that they were proselytizing or anything on that episode no, I looked at no, it as at you know it's it's a duplicate earth and this is part of Earth history right and this thing evolved and this thing happened Absolutely. and that's, that, that's how I captured it but it, it always it still fascinated me and uh, mm-hmm. and and those are those are two actors that are not afraid to speak up. That's right. That's right. <laughs> because there was a lot of turmoil on that set. Mm-hmm. And uh, when things were written in a direction that went against the character, not yes. necessarily their own beliefs, but their character, right. uh, they would speak up. Quite That's often right. actually.
1: Yeah. That's very right and and, and of course uh, Leonard did a lot to intentionally bring Jewish influences into Spock and into the series. And, and I have friends who are much more articulate on that than I, uh, who I love talking with. Uh, people like um, uh, Jonas and Gershom, who wrote Jewish themes in Star Trek, and, uh, and a, a lady called uh, Leslie Owen, who I got, to, I got to talk to and really get to know uh, recently um, when I was at a, uh, I was a guest in Atlanta, at Atlanta uh, earlier this year. Uh, just really, really thoughtful engagement with the uh, the Jewish background of the writers and the directors and everybody behind it, and what a strong influence that is on the series. So it's that's great. I think a lot of people would would kind of say it's got to be one or the other. It's got to be either or. It's got to be humanism or Christianity, or it's got to be Judaism or Christianity. But when I see the humanistic stuff, when I see the Jewish stuff, all that does is just inform my Christian interpretation and make it deeper and more interesting and more exciting because they bring out colors and and, and ideas that I never would have known before, and it's beautiful. Love the dialogue.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, Return of the Archons earlier, and I think that's an episode that is, like most of Star Trek, and that's why it's so universally popular, is it is what you bring to it. Right? As someone who's anti- Religion period. It's like, well, clearly this is an indoctrination of you know uh, organized religion and how messed up it is and how it brainwashes you and you're part of the, this body and all this stuff. And it it's very weird traditions that people do now, but it's we're, we're past that. That's barbaric, you know. But if you come to it from a different point of view, you're like, you know what? Think, you know, think when you party religion. Don't shake your brain at the door. You know th- this is this is ceremonialism yep. taken to the extreme, and that is not right. So I think no matter what your worldview is, you can come to all these 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 particular stories and Star Trek as a whole, and it doesn't necessarily conflict with what you're saying. You just see like, oh yeah, you, you will you will agree with it no matter what. You're like, yeah, you tell them Star Trek <laughs> no matter what your point of view is. Right. right?
1: <laughs> Return of the Archives was one of the one of the episodes that I use as kind of an archetype. So that I could talk about how the original series deals dealt with religion kind of overall through the lens of that episode, because that episode I thought was it was kind of uh, primal in that process and and it also um, I felt was really easy to relate directly to Christianity, uh, particularly because of some of the some of the language and some of the culture trappings and things like that. And uh, I love that that, epi- that episode out of the body. Yeah, 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 the body exactly. So, and people have uh, said that. Well, that you know, that's just you know anti-Christian or whatever. But I, I felt like, you know, that can be anti-religious, and there's a difference between because you notice that everybody, nobody questions that Landrew gave them good teachings. Nobody questions that Landry was wise. Nobody questioned that Landry was, was a helpful and a healing and a salvific influence. But the what they do say is that the religion that has been built in his name is damaging. And that is so frequently true. And if that's not something that that Christians can admit to themselves and to others and try to work on, then they're missing kind of the point, you know. Uh, right yeah. i mean
0: i always saw it as more anti-puritanical uh i mean even yeah. down to the costumes i don't know if that's just because those are the costumes they had access to in the 60s but right that's the way the planet was presented to us right
1: so. right that's one of those things too where uh it's that's that's one way to read it that's one way to read it or at least let's say um it's it's against it's against a legalistic form of religion um and it's, and it's also, I would say this, and I didn't really say this specifically in these words in the book, but it occurs to me now, that the critique here is often against the worship of religion, that when, when, our, when our focus shifts so that um, the religious, quote unquote, things that we do are not tools for us to deepen our faith and our understanding of God and, and, our, and our relationship with, with other human beings. And they themselves become the things. The church becomes the authority. The church becomes what we're defending and what we're all about, or the um, you know whatever the whatever the various thing is. Especially because so so often so much of that gets co-opted by politics and by uh, personal uh, personal quests for for power and, and things of that that nature. It gets corrupted so easily um, that when those things become, those things can become an idol, essentially. And they can cause us to miss the point of why we started doing this stuff to begin with. And once that happens, then, you know, we've got to rework uh, rework what we're doing.
0: Right. Yeah, I've heard it said in other examinations of Star Trek and religion that you could interpret the, the Enterprise, you know, going around just calling out and destroying false gods right i mean they're yeah. you know you got you have vol you have landrew you have apollo you know uh that's that's one way to look at it right and so it uh, th- th- that's a theme that continues you know the originals it continues through star trek really because uh, you know as you mentioned in the book gene roddenberry just just seems to hone in on this this god figure right and and david gerald himself was like <laughs> has said like when they run out of ideas like oh have a meet god right yeah it's either a kid or a computer right so
1: (laughs) (laughs) right yeah it's so like whenever gene didn't know what to do he'd he'd have kirk fight god which you know is is really true and it's and it's interesting because i don't know if that's if that's um recognized for what i i I relate it to you know a, a an idea that's very strong in a lot of Christian traditions, which is iconoclasm, which is, like you say, the tearing down of false gods. And the tearing down of a false god isn't necessarily saying there's no god. It just means that that false god you tore down is not God. You know, that, that conception of God does not reflect whatever God may or may not be. And uh, and I think that's that's an important thing to do. It's a very important thing to do. And it's something that a lot of Christians really value and should continue to value.
0: Now, I appreciate it in the book that you... We talked about the animated series, uh, and we've been talking about God a lot. And let's talk about the devil uh, ah. of Megas 2. What yes. what an insane episode! Just regardless, but then you have you literally have Spock drawing a pentagram <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> it's like, what is this? You know? So, yep. uh, what? Just give us a little bit of taste of what your whole take on that was, and what they were trying to say with that episode, where they meet quote unquote Lucian they reveal his true name is lucifer like I, I still i'm not even sure what they're trying to say really uh and i, I liked your i liked your examination of it, so why don't you share some of that with the listeners here
1: well for me that episode is um it was particularly puzzling for me for a while it was just kind of one of those episodes and i went okay we're clearly trying to talk about something here but i'm not sure exactly what we're trying to talk about Um, (laughs) right
0: (laughs) what's your angle but it was really
1: interesting because I I, I started doing some research and I just started looking up like there's a character called Asmodeus and I was like well let me find out who Asmodeus is and where he comes from or whatever and so I started doing some research and I find out that um, Asmodeus is uh, this character who is mentioned in this book called The Magus and particularly in The Magus book 2 and, uh, and this is this book all about, you know, witchcraft and, 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 um, and, and I was like, wait a minute, what, wait, what? <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute, the Megus book two, maybe that, and I don't have any documentation of this, just my research, but I was like, that seems to be that the Magus book two became the planet of Megus two in the, in the series. And then there's a, there's another thing with Lucian, who is this, um who is this character who's, who's also, who's not a Lucifer character, but, um, but is, uh, is this person who does, uh, who acts kind of as a lawyer and, 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 and and it's, it's very interesting to watch all these, all these kind of weird threads being, being hinted at and being connected in this thing. But when you talk about, you know, Spock drawing a, drawing a pentacle on the floor (laughs) of the Enterprise... Yeah, that's that's freaky because, well, I, and I think one of the reasons it's freaky is it's one of the few times in Star Trek, very few times in Star Trek, where there's a very specific religious symbol that is that is represented. An Earth religious symbol that is that is represented. Um, there's a Balance of Terror, where you have you know maybe what looks vaguely like a cross on the wall, you know, in the in the in the chapel, along with some other uh, symbols, and you have uh, a character in the original series who wears a bindi. Uh, you know, the little dot on the forehead from the Hindu from the Hindu faith, and, uh, and various things like that. Um, but particularly in that era, I mean, to have to have Spock doing that. But but the thing that he's saying is, you know, here this is perfectly logical. Here this makes sense. I should be able to move things with my mind in this in this reality um, because that's because that's how things work here, and um, and it's not. It's. I think the. I think the unusual. The the. Maybe the reason they went that direction. Maybe the thing they were looking for, was. That they were trying to find a way, where, all of this, stuff that is usually, uh, written off can somehow. Can somehow be, real, and then it's a question of. Is that real, and what's our relationship to it? Um, I, I put it. I put it this way in the book. I said, "Did Kirk save Lucifer?" Because the whole, the whole thing at the at the end is uh, McCoy asks Kirk, uh, "Do you think Lucian really was the demon some men called Lucifer?" And Kirk said, "Does it really matter?" And Spock says, it just might, Captain. If he was, this would be the second time Lucifer was cast out, and thanks to you, the first time he was saved, which I thought was really interesting. Kind of a callback to the apple there a little bit. We just gave them the apple. And so I said, did, did Kirk save Lucifer? Is that even possible?
0: Yeah, that ending, right? It's. I remember the first time I even came across this episode, uh, I was at a Star Trek convention with my mom, and we just watched it, and she was like, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know either, Mom. That's yeah,
1: really weird. <laughs> this is a little weird. So for me, um, what, I, what I said, you know, what I said in the book is that it's highly unlikely that you know this really is Lucifer. But the implications addressed here are more for effect than message. So the challenge of the sympathy of the uh, sympathy for the devil shown in of Magus 2 is less about kindness to the person of Lucifer himself and more about kindness to the devils we make of others in our world. I go to some length in the chapter to talk about the real Salem witch trials because there's a, there's a parallel there with the Salem witch trials. And I talk about it's it's very similar, actually, to what they say in the episode. What they say in the episode is we weren't trying to harm anybody; we were just being ourselves, and we just happened to be magical beings. And they burned us as witches. The real truth of that is that the people who died uh, in in Salem were most likely not involved in any occult stuff, and most likely probably Christians um, who were uh, who were targeted because they were. Um, undesirables because of conflicts over land interests and and other things like that and and it's just a terrible terrible tragic thing and and witchcraft was just sort of this uh, thing that was used against them so um, so it's about the the kindness to the devils we make of others in our world through misunderstanding self righteousness ignorance and fear and when we come to know the feared other as our fellow human and neighbor we can see we can see instead of a broad caricature or abstraction a person made in the image of god needing to be loved whether we may deem them worthy or not in these instances it will do us good to have the humility to recall our own unworthiness knowing that we can learn and grow from our mistakes as well as that we still have much to learn much learning and growing to do can help us to find the compassion that convinces the megans to no longer fear humanity that same compassion is the key by which we learn to no longer fear one another and um and so I really felt I really felt like it was the episode is sort of um, exploring the possibilities and asking these questions about you know well it was supposed to be one of these you know the Enterprise meets God in space episodes and it, for some reason it came back that we couldn't do God but we could do the devil and so they just kind of went down that road and why I don't know that seems to be sort of a thing that's been lost to history. Um, but for me, the, the the episode is very much about fear, and about the Megan's sort of putting it to the crew of the Enterprise by making them the victims, by putting them in the stocks, you know, and saying, "Here's what it is to be a victim of fear," you know. "Here's what it is to be to be the other. Are you, can we push you hard enough that you will repay like for like? Can we?" Put you in a position where you will respond to us, in in fear and in hatred, and the challenge that Kirk faces is not giving in to that, and and trying to stand up to them, you know, when they're when they're trying to, when they're trying to destroy them, because not because he wants to destroy them, but because he says if you do this, if you lash out at Lucian and punish him. And 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 give him something worse than the death sentence, which is isolation. You know, if you do that to him, you'll be as bad as the people who burned the witches in Salem, because you'll be acting in that same fear. So he's not just trying to protect his crew; he's not just trying to protect this being, Lucian, whoever he is. He's fighting for a being because they're because they're a being because they exist because they have a life and because they deserve to have a life. And he's also fighting for those who are who are trying, who are at least saying, I mean, we find out later, it's all, it's all a ruse, but they're saying that they're trying to hurt him. So even, even the oppressors, he's saying, no, 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 you guys can be better than this. I want to rescue him, but I also want to rescue you, you know, from, from going down this road. And at the same time, I'm trying to rescue myself from going down that road. So it's about lifting us all up out of that. And, um, and fight and I think that translates like all of all of the stuff with aliens in Star Trek I mean we can tr- relate that directly to just varieties of human beings and recognizing that here here the crew of the enterprise is possibly you know defending Lucifer And I think the idea there is can you think of a more you know a more reviled sort of mythological being if you' if you're looking at it from their point of view or can you think of of someone who is less defensible right? And so let's look at our own world and look at the person who we may perceive as being so much against us or so much opposed to our beliefs or so much someone we dis- of, of whom we disapprove in one way or another. And can we bring ourselves to overcome our fear of that person so that we don't become the oppressor and we, we lift them up? And can we even, as we see others being oppressed, can we deal with those people who are doing the oppression, the oppressing also? without falling into the trap of fear that's a a really really complex thing to to coordinate and we all have to work on it so weirdly this bizarre little animated episode (laughs) (laughs) about about a man with goat legs you know who who makes magic you know in in the in the in the weird backwards part of the universe um can can help us think about those things.
2: There's a lot of things to reflect on into what into what you're saying because it's 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 pretty powerful stuff. Even though the genesis of it was like you said, uh, quite a wild episode. But it's transition time. We kind of go beyond the uh, the TAS and and go into actually as you started off the uh, the podcast saying you know the movie era. Uh, I don't know if you said it was your favorite era, but it was it was definitely up there with TNG. And for us, I think as, as Zach and, and Tony Black had, had said so well in 165, Star Trek at its best, I, I I do agree with that. I think this was the best era of Star Trek. But getting into the movies, I mean, they are rich with themes of life, death, sacrifice, resurrection, um, searching for the creator for the second time. Because you were more familiar with these, or this is where your jumping jumping off point into TOS was. Were they easier to analyze through this um, because of that, or was there more of a challenge to find a fresh take? What, what, what do you think there?
1: It kind of altered, it kind of varied from film to film. Because each of them sort of, um, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the motion picture is really its kind of own little universe. Its own little version of the Star Trek universe that you, you just don't find anywhere else. I mean, there's comic strips and comic books and things like that. But in terms of film and television, it's an era of Star Trek that is unto itself, you know, and then two, three and four have uh, have an arc, you know, and I talk in those films. um, And this is something that I didn't see till much later until I had already seen Data as a Christ figure when I saw Spock as a Christ figure in those films. And for the longest time, I only saw it in two and three and hadn't even noticed it in four until one day it. I, I, I'd watched, uh, two and three, uh, and, and went to four and, and just to finish the story out and said, Oh my goodness, Spock's Jesus in this movie too. Uh, and so those, and, and then five, you know, you deal directly with a, with a quest for God, you know, and then, and then six, you're talking about, um, again, this, this fear of the other and, and the process toward peace and, and the uncertainty of the future and, and all those sorts of, and, and, and ingrained, uh, ingrained biases and prejudices and how they can sneak in, you know, even to the best people, even to the Captain Enterprise. So, you know, it's one of those things where, um, it, in a certain sense, it is easier because a film or a series of films or whatever, they're kind of, they, they exist in their own space and they tell their own story and you can deal with them in a pretty isolated way much the way you would you would deal with an episode of a television series but it's it can sometimes be harder to kind of pull together a large theme from a lot of episodes you know and and kind of lace it together and and, and make a thing out of it so in a certain sense yeah i mean it's it's a little bit finite you know it's like i know i have 2 to 4000 words that i have to do just on this film, you know, and I can dive deep and there's special features and audio commentaries and all kinds of stuff that you don't necessarily have, you know, on an episode. So, um, so yeah, there were certain parts of it that were easier and there were certain things that, that were challenging, particularly as I got into the, um, the later movies, the, the, the Kelvin timeline movies, uh, there were certain things that were challenging, but, uh, it was fun. It was, it was an exciting thing to, to get into each one of them
0: i know for me kevin I, I was particularly impressed by your take on star trek 4 uh which like you on first glance i thought would be light on the spiritual parallels but then at the end of where spock says oh, i stand with my shipmate you're like oh jesus stands accused it blew my it blew my mind They're making that connection It makes it makes perfect <laughs> sense you know and that and that it continued you know death and resurrection uh arc that spock has as the christ figure uh, and then he brings salvation to Earth, you know, descending from the clouds. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah. it's all there if you really look at it. So it's 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 just crazy. It really did blow my mind to to make connect those dots. Because you on first glance, it does stop at 2 and 3. Like, okay, he died. He saved everyone. He's back. But it right. continues on to 4.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing is that, uh, you know, I uh, we had done audio commentaries, actually, on Star Trek 2 and 3. And I, I didn't, I think we'd done 2 and 3 at that point. Um, and so I, I had done tons of research on these movies and everything, but one day I just decided, man, I just want to watch Star Trek two for the fun of it. I just miss watching Star Trek and not taking notes. (laughs) You know, let me just do it. And I watched it and then, um, and then suddenly realized that, uh, that I, it was Palm Sunday and I I texted my friends. I was like, Oh, Hey. It's, it's no wonder that it's Palm Sunday. It's no wonder I would want to watch a Jesus movie because I just had the strongest urge to watch star Trek two. And then I said, well, you know, we'll continue with star Trek three. And I knew that movie pretty well. And I did take some notes. Um, but Star Trek Three again, a lot of biblical parallels. Um, they're kind of jumbled up. I say it's a little bit like scripture jazz. Um, and and it's, it's, there's a number of different themes going on in there that you can read. Again, none of this intentional. I want to make that very clear. None of this is anything that I can find record that anybody intended to put in these movies. Um, but once you see it, it's hard to unsee it. And the depth and the breadth of this stuff... Uh, the details that would jump out at me were just uh, were killing me. You know, it wasn't anything that I that I went looking for. It found me. And particularly when I got to Star Trek Four, because I was just like, oh, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put this movie in to finish the series. And and it surprised it surprised the heck out of me uh, how much I saw. Um, you know, this parallel where you know humankind is about to die and the Earth is about to die. Because of because of the failures of humankind, because of the sins of humankind, and uh, and here, is, you know, Spot, there's so much to them. <laughs> I did a whole just read the book, guys. Just read the book. <laughs> I did, yeah, I read the book. I did a whole presentation on this arc, uh, and and it's and it's it's just uh, there's so much in it.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, because I, I think you immediately gravitate towards the uh, motion picture because you know you're searching for the creator. We all, we all create God in our own image, right? I mean, that's, I, I forget what lines are in the director's edition, what lines are in a the theatrical cut. Uh, but, uh, you know, as, as Spock says, like, we all turn to someone in our lives, uh, a father, a brother, a God, why am I here? Like, that's that's like deep, you know, reflective stuff that, you know, and, and it, it ties into that whole, you know, search for a higher power and, and something greater than yourself and to, wanting to be in communion with it. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's pretty obvious. And then five, I mean, you're literally searching for God.
1: And again, as uh, you know, in, in that chapter, you know, I didn't, I, I primarily focused on that on that last scene, that confrontation with with the God being. And it's again, it's Star Trek engaging in iconoclasm, and um, and in a pretty detailed way. And it ends up that you know all the things that they say, they basically put down criteria for who and what God should be, and how this being doesn't meet those. And all of those criteria really reflect. God, as he's uh, represented in the Bible, so I I think in
0: in these times, there were so many acts of just terrorism and and horror committed in the name of religion. I think you know that scene with McCoy and the quote-unquote God figure there, where he says, "Do you doubt me?" He's like, "I doubt any God who inflicts pain pain for his own pleasure." pleasure. Right? That is it, man. That is it right there. That that just undercuts all this BS that we go through uh, with people doing horrible things in the name of of God or any higher power. And that's it's not what it's all about, man.
1: No, it's not. And it's, and, and it's, and it's exciting too, to, to then, you know, to move from those things because six is kind of, this sort of outlier in that sense, because it doesn't have that element quite so much. I mean, there are references to Eden and things like that, but I mean, it's easy to talk about Star Trek and religion when they're dealing directly with religion or when there's a Christ figure parallel or when they're talking about a quest for creator or something good and things like that. It's, it's easy to sort of get into that. But when you get into Star Trek six and it's about politics, you know, and our, and our relationship with, with, uh, with Russia, and it's like, uh, Wait a minute, but you know, but then you realize that. I mean,
0: who knew how topical that would be these days? By the way. Oh yeah, oh I know, <laughs> I know, because
1: it, because it has so much to do with the fear of the other, and and how we can, you know, I think Kirk feels justified in his distaste for, let's put it mildly, uh, for the Klingons. Kirk feels justified in that, not just because of. The relationship that the or, the, or lack thereof of the, the, the uh, federation has had with them heretofore but also because of the personal hurt and the personal tragedy and loss and i think there are lots of times when and i see this particularly amongst christians or at least it stands out to me amongst christians but i see it a lot of places where we feel justified in speaking against people because they don't they don't uh, reflect our beliefs, or they don't meet our standards, or, or or whatever it is that we that we think it is, or they they deviate from our idea of what they should be doing, or how they should be living, or what they should be saying. And and we can, you know, we can let that. I think it's great. People get upset that Kirk is so so prejudiced in this movie, but I think it's great that he is because it's great to show that. That this captain of the Enterprise um, isn't a paragon, you know. As Eve says in uh, in Mud's Women, you know, the, the captain is supposed to be a paragon, and I never met a paragon, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and I think she's. I mean, she's she's messing with him there, but she's but she's right. Eve, another biblical reference. Ah, I know. Oh, yeah, they're all over. They're all over, particularly when it comes to Eden and, and Genesis and all that. It's all over, right. the original series right. and everywhere. But we can see how that prejudice sort of creeps into his heart. And all of that, all of how he has to come to the place of forgiveness, how he has to come to view his enemy differently, you know. Um, there's a there's a song by a guy called Derek Webb called uh, My Enemies Are Men Like Me. You know, the, the idea that the people we hate, you know, well, they're human beings too. And they have the same desire to be loved and the same struggles and everything that we do. And having to push through all that hurt and push through all that pain and stop othering and start one anothering. That's about neighbor love. That's about what it means to, to, to love our neighbor and, and to, love them, to love them as ourselves. And in fact, the, the inscription of this book is a quotation from David Gerro, uh, which is something he said to me in an email, <laughs> and uh, he didn't even remember saying it. I got to I, I met him recently and showed it to him, and he was like, "Oh wow, that's a pretty good quote. I didn't know I said that." I'm like, "Oh yeah, you did," <laughs> and um, but he said the primary philosophy in Star Trek, stripped of everything else, was love one another. I think Jesus might have said something like that once too, and so we see in Star Trek Six and in so many other places. That, um, that concept of neighbor love coming back and challenging us again because I think a lot of people would say, Well, that's not religion, that's politics. Well, no, it's not religion, you know. But religion, as we talked about earlier, you know, faith, spirituality, uh, being a Christian, it's not limited to religion. Uh, and the minute we do that is when we, we lose the point, there's no separation. And politics is how part of how we live as human beings, and that makes it important.
0: Well, all heavy stuff there, Kevin. I again yeah. I recommend everybody get the book, yeah. read it. This goes in very much depth in all these topics. Uh, but you know, to to kind of round out our discussion here, uh, let's get into the Kelvin timeline. And uh, and uh, so your your analogy of Spock Prime as a god figure influencing events, but still making Kirk and Spock forge their own destiny together was a brilliant way of looking at the predestination free will debate. Uh, because I feel like that's always something that, that I've, you know, made that explanation, you know, just just, just my limited human mind can't my can't wrap my <laughs> head around the fact that God is, you know, omniscient, omnipresent, you know, can see the past, present, and future, right? But it's like if he knows what's going to happen, uh, he's just going to put things in place and then you have to play it out. I mean, he knows the end. It doesn't mean he's influencing it. Uh, it's just oh man, that, that stuff you can go around in your head for hours and hours and hours <laughs> about that. But I never right, really right. thought about that. that. That's that's so great because Spock, you know, he's from the future, so he knows the quote unquote destinies of Kirk and of Kirk and you know his younger self. Um, he puts Kirk in the position to meet his younger self and they can forge that friendship together because if he had been there the whole time he would not have learned what he needed to learn and that is exactly why we go through the trials and tribulations that we do in this world right and it's, it's because people say why doesn't god just step in and do this and step in and do that You're right well there is no substitute for experience when it comes to you know life and evolution as a character as yourself right and that, that to me i don't know that again that much like the the spock and star trek for the uh Spock prime is the God figure in, in, in Star Trek. And I was like, Oh, brilliant. Well done, Kevin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and the other thing about Spock in that, in the film, cause I don't want to, I, I, I very want to be careful about, you know, carrying analogies and metaphors like too far because they, they always break down at some point. And of course, especially when they're not intended. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to read too much into things. Um, but I think we can definitely say that, that Spock is acting on faith. Um, and that Spock has always acted in faith, um, and he's learned over the years where to place his faith, uh, because he used to be, I mean, you look at the Galileo 7, he puts his faith totally in logic, and doesn't recognize the humanity and the human interest of the situation, and that's when he begins to put his faith somewhere other than just pure logic. Of course, he can explain it logically, he always can. Uh, <laughs> then that's, that's when he really comes into his own. And that's part of the, the the dynamic of the of the um, of the character. So that when uh, he encounters his younger self in uh, in the first Kelvin timeline film, he says, "You know, in this instance, put aside logic and do what feels right." You know. He's saying there's there's more to life than logic. And, and, and that's reflecting, again, what he says in Star Trek VI. Logic is the beginning of wisdom, not the end. Um, there's more to it than logic. And he starts to sort of embrace his, his humanity. And he is... And, and again, he's acting in that faith, which he articulates in Star Trek VI, as the faith that the universe will unfold as it should. And that idea that if I put Kirk and Spock together in the right roles you know with the right motivation they will forge that friendship because because it's destiny um there's an interesting moment in the audio commentary when jj Abrams says i looked at the script and i talked to bob and alex about it and i'm like guys guys come on by the time they find spock on the ice planet i'm like guys this is ridiculous how can this all just happen you know and he said the explanation they gave me was it's destiny and he said oh okay that actually works. <laughs> the idea is that whatever chaos is introduced, the, the the destiny still works itself out. And to me, that was that was kind of a beautiful picture of sort of that relationship between free will and determinism, that that the sovereignty of God means that that the the, the, the plan of God isn't about every little thing going exactly according to something that was predetermined. But that no matter what chaos happens, the, the, the will of God absorbs that into its matrix, just as the universe itself is, is this harmony between chaos and cosmos, you know, um, and that to me, that's that's kind of a beautiful thing about that film. And I love it. But I didn't I didn't love Into Darkness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I noticed that you didn't spend too much time on Into Darkness. Well, in your I, book you, I, 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 I saw it. a couple of, of sly, maybe, inferences that you're not the biggest fan in your writing there.
1: You know, we often have that relationship with things that we may not otherwise like all that much, but there may actually be value there. And sometimes we just kind of have to get over ourselves and look for goodness in, in things and in other people. And. You know, that's what I did with Into darkness and it made for a made for a I think a pretty decent chapter.
0: Putting putting faith into practice, Kevin, for sure. <laughs> Try, trying, uh,
1: trying. Yeah. Well,
0: uh the one thing you didn't touch on in the book and something that I was curious about was was the concealing blood. And if there could be a connection there between, you know, the the blood of Jesus, you know, the washy-white snow, purifying blood. I wonder, I mean I'm sure somewhere in your mind you made that connection, but I was curious you didn't really delve into it at all and if you had any thoughts on that. It's a stretch, Zach.
1: (laughs) You know, I thought about it because whenever I see someone saved by blood, I think, "Oh, hey!" But I was like, "But it's Khan's blood, and it's and it's dumb." (laughs) You know, that's it right there. It's dumb. You know, and I was just like, (sighs) "Ah." "Yeah, right." right by the the time i got "Eh." to the end of this
0: book though kevin you had me like connecting all these dots i never thought of before and then i'm like oh the into darkness oh i'm sure oh he didn't he juked me he didn't do it he didn't go where (laughs) i thought he was gonna go so
1: yeah well you know and and that's the thing is that i i really the things that i pull out in this you know some of this metaphorical stuff this allegorical stuff or whatever in these in some of these movies um You know, it looks like I have worked really hard to tease this stuff out and just to try to find it wherever I can, but the truth of it is, it just kind of kept finding me, and I just kept writing about it as long as I felt like it was honestly expressing something that I discovered that meant something to me. And when it got to the point where I felt like I was um, maybe trying too hard to make something out of it when it wasn't presenting itself to me, then I was like, you know... We're just not going to go down that road. You know, there, there are things in Star Trek, too, that I that I that I didn't say, <laughs> you know, and I didn't talk about because I was like, OK, now you're just being ridiculous.
0: Now, you flipped a, you flipped the switch in my head, man. I see it everywhere now in Star Trek. So. Well, good.
1: Well, you know, but, you know, part of but part of what I'm doing with that, though, part of what I'm doing, I mean, that's that's intentional because it's ex- it's expressing something that I've gone through in my life. If I can. Look at something like Star Trek, and I can find things that comport with my faith, and or, or that inspire me, or that deepen my life and deepen my faith, or whatever. Then maybe I can find those things elsewhere too, and I think we can expand it to other disciplines, other ideas, other you know. Maybe you're doing work that you don't like, you know, but can you find the value in it for how you're serving other people through it? And can you find a way that you can, um, that you can become a better person through it? You know, um, can you find, can you find value in these things? And, and as we find value in the things in life, and I know this is big and just kind of grandiose and epic, you know, when we're talking about Star Trek, you know, but as we find the value in things in life and look for the best in stuff and in, in movies and in uh, whatever else we're finding, maybe we can start to look for the best in the, each other too. And it's so easy to make an enemy of somebody we disagree with. It's so easy, particularly in our in our current cultural context. And even the smallest thing that unites us in any way as human beings with one another is a start for we're transitioning, like I said earlier, from a confrontation to a conversation. And even if we don't agree at the end of that conversation, we can at least respect each other's humanity and work toward the common goals we all have as human beings. And that's that's incredibly important.
0: Well, well said, sir. You know, uh, Ken and I, you know, we always try to keep it pretty light here on Standard Over. And this is probably one of our most uh, meaningful and intellectual deep discussions we've had in our, <laughs> in our time uh, in the center seat here. But I, I have very much enjoyed it. You know, for for me I and I, I apologize for not interjecting a lot because
2: a lot of the things you were saying just needed to be digested. And I am one of those people that it's okay. I really need to think about what's being said here. And and I can't wait to kind of to replay this whole thing because when when you hear it as it goes, well there's a lot to it. And um there really is and and it comes down to to a couple of things for me, Kevin, you know being a a fan of Star Trek for many, many years, and um you know we we talked to people and fans and and we kind of talked to this not that long ago, Zach and I did not not so deeply, but how and, and, and Nick Anastasio was on the on the show and and we were talking about how you know people have found. Not their salvation, but their safe space in Star Trek. You know that, that place where they can, um, they can find others. Uh, that that you know. Uh, let's face it. Back in the day, especially in my day. Uh, you know, you, were, you you were teased pretty hard uh, if you, if you were a Star Trek fan, um. And, you know now it's more of a fun type of tease or whatnot, but it's it's still it's still rough. But it was the one spot that and it was something I even noticed when um when I was in in Las Vegas last year, and that is it's all inclusive, and and there are people from from all walks. All, all races, all religions that are coming together, and it kind of, it kind of, I guess, brings to life a lot of the things that you're saying, and that is, you know, there's, there's hope, um, there's, there's faith, there's trust, um, there's joy, there's, there's a lot of things, and, it, and it's funny that a, um, a, a, a quirky 1960s TV show has evolved into something like that. In a sense, it's almost become its own religion. Um, not, not with the um, the rules and regulations because the, the the fan opinions and things and and, and how they look at each each um, series is is can be vastly different but but to me that is the one thing that that i I, I loved and why I fell in love with star trek and it and it mirrors everything you're saying in this as far as faith forgiveness joy um, acceptance not being judgmental all those things when I walk around i I just see so many people in and, 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 you know, they're, they're into it because nobody, you can go to a Star Trek convention. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you're dressed up as. You're welcome. You're welcome. You know, here you go. This is, you know, and it was almost, and and if somebody should go against that or anything along those lines, they'd have a a ton of Trekkers telling them where they can go find themselves because that, that kind of behavior is not accepted. And I think that's, that's a unique piece of the fandom here. And uh, I definitely see the the parallels in, in what you're saying. And it's it's been a very thought provoking conversation and I thank you for that.
1: Thank you, and I appreciate you saying that greatly and I and I concur and I, I, I really you know, I think the first time I went to like a Star Trek meeting or gathering of any kind, I was like, Wow, there's a lot of weirdos around here, <laughs> you know? And I love that. I love that, that, that excites me. Cause you know, i I was always, you know, uh, one of the weird kids, you know, growing up and, uh, and it's just cool that there's just, there's, there's space for people. And, and I find that to be a, a beautiful picture of, 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 a of a, a more hopeful vision of our, of our society and, and of our, of our culture that we can have those kinds of conversations you know when I when I post this stuff on start when I posted like announcing this book in some Star Trek groups you know I get some pushback you know every now and again somebody would comment and say you know rah rah that's not what Star Trek's about you know but then I found that I could explain myself to them and we'd end up having a very nice dialogue about it you know in a very nice little conversation come kind of like away going oh okay wow, hey we can respect one another and, and I like that, and I want to see more of that in our world and our culture. And if I can do the smallest thing to push us in that direction, I'd like to. Um, but uh, it's, just, it's just, it's a hard time for us because our, our ability to talk at each other has grown so greatly and so quickly. I did a book recently, I co-edited a book with a friend of mine called um, Science Fiction and the Abolition of Man taking C.S. Lewis's book, The Abolition of Man, and put it in conversation with science fiction, television, and film. And uh, it's a multi-author work. And a lot of what we talk about that in there is our relationship to, to technology. And one of the things that I, that I talk about with that in, in relationship with Star Trek in that book is that when our technological advancements outpace our moral and our ethical advancements, that's when we get into trouble. And, and our relationship to technology. It's not that technology is good or technology is bad, it's a tool, but it can get out of hand with us. And we're at that point where I think certain things are kind of slipping out of our grasp. And if we don't engage thoughtfully in how we communicate with one another in this age of communication, then we're, we're in danger of, of losing our own humanity. And that's something that I think in Star Trek, is the ultimate worst thing <laughs> and and it's probably really the worst thing from a christian perspective too because again our, our humanity was created in the image and likeness of god and just like uh, data is created in the image of of his father we're created in the image of god and if we pursue deeply what it means to be human then we'll find the source and the aim of that humanity and if we spend all our time uh shouting at each other we'll we'll never get there
0: so eloquently said kevin i uh, i almost feel <laughs> i feel bad about adding anything <laughs> to the end of that to just uh, to touch on that real quick yeah i think you know there's nothing more dangerous than a false sense of community and connection yes. and i feel like that is what we're falling into these days of like our you know always plugging into our phones i'm so guilty of it right i'm just on my phone <laughs> all the time and you're like oh hey i'm plugged in I'm this and that yeah you're plugged in but are you really connected to people right and it just uh, and you know to jump the time stream here to your next book, the Borg, right? They're the Exhibit A of that, so I'm sure you'll have some interesting things to say about that when you dive into that. Uh, but yeah, you, know, you know, finally with, with your book here, man, I really enjoyed it. I, I found, I, I the, the part about you know reconciling Star Trek's humanism with you know Christianity's view of humanity was it was really spoke to me and it really struck a chord. And then. As someone who's obviously watched Star Trek his whole life and continues to watch Star Trek and does a Star Trek podcast, it was great to get some some new perspectives on things that have been around for so long. And that it's kind of fires off the brain cells. Like I said, you flip that switch, man, I'm going to be seeing those connections. <laughs> Star Trek is uh, and more and more Star Trek as I keep watching. I'm really looking forward to uh, you continuing this book series for sure.
1: Thank you very much, sir, and I'm looking forward to it, too. One note I would add for your listeners is that there is a chapter on Star Trek Beyond. It's actually the longest chapter in the book. So we didn't cover it in our conversation, but it's there, and I really like it because I love that movie. <laughs> yes, we're all fans of Beyond here on Center of right? Yes, yes, so so and 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 ken maybe we'll maybe we'll have a a, a follow up episode where we can discuss all of your your musings after after listening back to this episode
2: <laughs> well listening and 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 getting getting my uh my opportunity to read this and and then the and then the follow on book i i it's it's definitely um yeah it's <laughs> obviously there's a lot here and and you know I felt the same way after listening to your interview on metatrax i thought it was really interesting and you know, of course, of course, those guys, um, you know, besides needing a dictionary um, to, to translate half the words they use, uh, <laughs> you, you do get you get so much out of it. So, no, I, I, you know, I, I appreciate you coming on. It, it, it was a real honor and a pleasure to to talk through this. And, you know, and I and I hope our listeners, um, you know, really get the gist of what this this episode was about. It, it, it really is about acceptance. And um, and, and, you know, I, I get it. I guess it. it it circles back to to my first question about redeeming that balance between uh humanism and and, the, and and christian's view of humanity and um yeah that that's that's where it kind of all all started and and I think that uh you know I think the key is no matter what you believe in this uniform in this universe here uh, you're welcome and uh and there's there is a absolute fundamental um Feeling that if 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 you have strong Christian beliefs, um, there's 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 a lot of good things here um, to to pull from and draw from, and you shouldn't be afraid. At least this is what I'm hearing from you guys, anyway. More than anything, you shouldn't be afraid to to be um, outward about it. And I think a lot of people pull it inward when it comes to Star Trek a lot of times because of the constant. Well, it's it's an atheistic humanistic. Uh, spot you know but you know there's probably a lot of people kind of behind the curtain going well that's that's not how I feel but because the ultimate objective of all of this is is to love and and accept one another I'll just I'll just put it in the corner and um, you know I think what this book does is help those who have done that feel more confident in coming out with it and there's there's that's an absolutely beautiful thing.
1: Thank you very much, and I tell you, it's been, it's been a, a, a real honor to be on the show, and I appreciate you guys uh, letting me ramble and uh, <laughs> and uh, exploring all this stuff because it's you know it's a it's a great, rich, beautiful, fun journey, and it's one that you know it extends to Star Trek and beyond.
0: Well, Kevin, thanks again for taking the time to talk to us today about your book and also your other Star Trek fandom and experiences. If people want to find you online and keep track of your work or your book book you to speak, you know, where can they find you?
1: So my website is kevincneese.com Neese spelled N-E-E-C-E and you can also go to, Gospel According to Star Trek.com, Undiscovered Country undiscoveredcountryproject.com that'll all kind of take you to the same hub and uh, you can sign up for the email list there which will actually give you a really healthy sample of the book particularly that, that Roddenberry section that we talked about in the introduction and some other things and uh, find out where what I'm doing and you can book me to speak there and you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook and all those good things and Love to keep in touch with you. Love to hear questions. Love to engage in conversation. And uh, love to come out and speak for you wherever you are.
0: Awesome. Thanks again. Well, the gospel according to Star Trek isn't the only thing we've been discussing this week on Trek FM. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on
1: Trek.FM, Melodic Treks. He wrote very heartfelt music for masculine subjects and if you look at his career whether it's red october where i don't think there's a woman with a speaking part i mean, it's like an old male movie uh, or robocop or conan or Flesh and blood and those
0: were you know about like old-fashioned traditional manly men
1: you know and what's what's in the heart of those warriors literary treks mccoy eventually gets command of the enterprise and one of the reasons for this is that he makes little comments to kirk occasionally about how he has a cushy job you know he's got oh this nice comfortable chair he can sit in because mccoy at this point he's got a lot of people getting sick on the enterprise there's colds there's broken legs or whatever i mean there's just for some reason sick bay is busy stage nine a podcast about the people who make star trek the thing that
2: finally pushed me over the edge this is going to sound so stupid i've said this before they were releasing a
0: uh, superman versus aliens comic book and i was like oh i guess i better get ready for superman versus aliens (laughs) and watch you know the alien movies
1: and that's what else is happening
0: on trek.fm so check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the star trek universe and beyond You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to get
2: in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on Trek slash contact. And look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm or on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and of course in the Babel Conference. Type Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron on the network of on Patreon. If you visit Patreon slash Trek FM, that's P A T R E O N dot com slash Trek you'll find the current goals and different milestone contributions along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details on patreon.com. Slash Trek FM. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our great associate producers for Standard Orbit. We have Renee Roberts, Norman Lau, Aaron Harvey, Tim Robertson, Nick Anastasio, Richard Marquez, and
0: Corey Elrod. Yes, thank you guys so much for your support for both Standard Orbit and Trek FM. Uh, so, Ken, if people want to find you out there on the internet, where can they find you?
2: Hi, hey, you can find me hanging around the Babel conference and engaging people when I, when I have the opportunity, you can also find me on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is at BostonSCPO, And we, uh, we like to tweet out all our new episode information
0: as soon as we get it, as well, as well as our colleagues. So look for me there. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's m o o r e o n z a c h, And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman series from the early 2000s. And you can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. So thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.